Well, I'm trusting that everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving, um, the one time a year where the Lord turns us back to gluttony and allows us to just be happy and full and so forth, and that you got time with friends and family. And to really just, it's a week where we get to be reminded of how powerful Thanksgiving really is and the gratitude that's in our hearts. So I'm, I'm praying that your time was very, very strong and very well. And uh, we've been praying for y'all um, throughout the week, and we know that there's several here uh, who have been asking just for encouragement. And so I'm praying that today's message is one step this week that's going to bring a good, refreshing encouragement to your hearts here today. I was supposed to uh, finish a series on Powerful, um, and I was going to end on the gifts of the Spirit, but I'm going to be doing a larger series on that in the spring um, and the Lord very specifically told me this week to speak on the topic of trusting Jesus more. And it has not left me. And so I'm being obedient to that today, and I'm very excited. I have wrestled with this sermon. Normally, I can get on my computer and my little fingers just to get it going, and I get real excited preparing a message. I have struggled with this, but I wouldn't say struggle. I would say I have warred with this message all week long. And whenever it becomes frustrating or difficult, I get more excited because I know that there's a real good reason for it and a real good reason why I need to deliver it. So let me pray for our time in the Word of God, and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for your goodness. And this church, we just sense your freedom here this morning. Thank you, God, that we are a spirit-filled church that recognizes the manifest presence of God, that you will have your way in the service, that though we have preparations, great music, we have a sermon that's been prepared. It's you, Holy Spirit, that wants to do the work in every heart this morning. And we give way for that. We ask you and invite you to have your way amongst every heart this morning, especially as we open up the very written word of God to our hearts. May we receive from heaven this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. When I was about three and four years old, before we moved to Southern California, we lived in a rented condo. And in this uh, condo complex, we had a community pool, and I'd never been swimming before. And so one day, my mom, my sister, myself, and an aunt of mine who was staying with us decided to go for an afternoon swim. And so we got everything together and headed on out to the swimming pool area. And my mom, she was busy getting all the towels and everything together. I'm Mexican, so I don't really need a whole lot of sunscreen. You know, she's getting everything all together. And my aunt went to the restroom to uh, get changed. And I looked around at this pool, and I saw all these kids that were having fun, jumping in the water, and I said, that looks like so much fun. I want to do that too. So as a little three or four-year-old kid, I just decided I'm just going to jump right in. Never been in a pool in my life before. I quickly learned that swimming is not as easy as it's made out to be. And I'm gasping for air. I'm taking in water. And you know, drowning as you're in the process of that, it's much different than Hollywood. Hollywood, they're treading water like water polo players, like, oh, help me, lifeguard. That's not real drowning. You're busy trying to get air instead of talking, okay? It's quiet. It's, it's dangerous. But praise God that my aunt, as she came out of the restroom, she saw me and she dumped, jumped right in to save me and to, to bring me out. Now, that is one story of many throughout my life where I was a knucklehead and decided I'm going to act before I think. And it happened multiple times in my life, and it's gotten me in a lot of trouble where I just dive headfirst in, and I go for it without weighing out the options or the consequences and really thinking it through or even praying before I move forward. Now, that hasn't worked well for me in the physical, 
But when it's partnered with trust, it's worked out really good for me in the spiritual. Taking a headfirst leap through trust in Jesus has proved to be some great testimonies in my life. And I've shared so many with us in this room, the stories of a room of 500 people that came for a healing service and needed a touch physically from God. And I said, I want the worst case in the room right here. And a kid with one eye blind got healed. And over 100 people got healed that night, even spontaneously. People in the pews were getting healed, all because we decided we're going to take a risk and we want the worst case because we want unbelief out of the room. There's been times where we've sat down and tried to figure out which church we need to move on to or where we need to move to or what the next season of our life is going to be. And you know the story, sitting in a hotel and living in an RV and thinking, what do you want us to do, God? Well, we have $5,000. That's all we have to our name right now. Thanks to a great tax return, we can stay here or in faith, we can move across the country and see what God has for us. Now, that's a risk. No job, no lead, a teenager who's about to start eighth grade, and a, a wife who's going through some different medical issues. That's a big risk. But when you know in your knower, when you nude it, right, when you know in your knower that it's God above all else, you got to take that step of faith. You got to trust that it's him who's leading to you. And we would have never found Duncanville if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit putting in our hearts, trust me on this one. Take the first step and I'll light up the rest of the steps for you as you go on. And the topic of God's faithfulness, trusting in him has always been a sweet area in my heart. You know, there's certain topics that us as Christians really are, we, we're fond of that really uh, are sweet to our heart and to our spirit. Well, the topic of how big God is, his faithfulness, and how all things are possible through him, something comes alive in me when I think of that. When I hear songs like that, it, it just comes alive in me. And over the last couple of weeks, it has just grown more and more and more to the point where I feel now it's no longer just for me. It's something that needs to be poured out of me onto to us in the church. And there's a song that we sing uh, quite often here, and I love the hymns. The hymns have such a theology in there that, oh, we need to put in our heart. And months ago, I asked uh, Becca, I said, can you just throw just a solid hymn in every one of our worship set lists, you know, just so that we're, we're being reminded that, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? They had it right back in the day. And, and this song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, we all know it. We know the melody, but I want to read it. Catch wind of, of the words here. Tis So Sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus says the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, I love this part. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood. And in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood, I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, will be with me to the end. When, every time we sing that hymn, I'm telling you, something inside of me comes alive. And so today, the message is trusting in Jesus. And really what I'm hoping to accomplish today, and I'm not sure if this is an encouragement or a challenge for us this morning, but what I'm really wanting to accomplish is how we can have bold faith that comes from quiet trust. 
bold faith. How do we step out and risk? How do we have bold faith to believe the things of God? I believe from a prayer closet, there's this quiet trust, this history and intimacy that we build in Jesus that allows that muscle to grow and that confidence to be there. You know, trust simply is confidence and security in something or someone. Each and every one of us here have strong faith. How do I know that? Y'all sat in a chair today and trusted that it would not fall on you. It wouldn't break underneath you. You had complete trust that the moment you sat in that chair, it was going to hold you up. We have that built into us, but it's a confidence and a security in something or someone. In the back of our church, we have that cute sign with the old paneling wood of, of our church. And every four square church has Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unfailing one. He's the one that will never leave us nor forsake us. The one who always has a plan for us, always has an encouragement, always has power from a high to bring to us. But we live in this world. We live in a fallen world where we have to learn how to trust God. And we go through different hurts in life that war against our soul and heaven and cause us to question and to have doubt and so forth. You know, the Old Testament even though they were rough times before the grace and, and the cleansing blood of Jesus, there were some easier times in there because God would appear in a pillar of fire. <laughs> he would speak in thunder to all the people. You're like, well, I better follow that or I'm going to get it, right? Very clear and obvious. Even the priests, the high priests, when they wore all these elements and, and these articles of robes and clothing and the 12 stones that were on their breastplate, behind that breastplate, I think the first reference is in Exodus 28, verse 30. It's called the Urim and the Thummim. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but I took my best jab at it. And it, it was traditionally a pouch that had two stones in it, a black stone, a white stone. And the black stone represented a no answer. The white represented a yes answer. So as this high priest could go before the people and God and say, shall we pursue this, this city? Shall, shall we go forth with this? And they could reach in and get a yes or a no. Now, how cool would that be today if you're like, okay, should I quit my job or stay at my job? And you reach in and you pull out an answer. You know, should I pursue this lady that my feelings are now being attracted to? Should I or not? And you get a black stone that's sizzling in your hand. That's a big no. You know, you just, it was just that easy. Imagine if it was that easy, but it's not because we're human and we are going to carry this flesh until we get to eternity. And we have people that hurt us, stab us in the back. We go through bad circumstances. We go through things in life that make us question, God, where were you? And we go through hurts and pains. And if we're not careful, we can build up walls in our hearts that guard against other people, that we won't welcome their friendship or relationship because of fear of another hurt. And if we're really not careful, we can get to the point where now we're hesitating on our relationship with God and pushing him out of our hearts. Now, the enemy of trust there's a lot of enemies we can think of, fear, whatever else, you know, past hurts. But one big area that I believe people think is an enemy to trust is mystery, the unknown, the gray areas in life. But I really don't think that the enemy of trust is mystery because that could be some good stuff. I don't think it's mystery. I think the enemy to real good trust in Jesus is self-reliance where we say, even though God has given me everything in the Holy Spirit, I have all this grace in Jesus Christ, I have every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, I'll go figure this out on my own. I got an idea of what I need to do. 
And it's almost as if we're telling God, no, thank you. I, I can take it from here. And he's going to say, okay, and allow us to make our own mistakes and faults and so forth. The enemy truly is self-reliant because mystery could be a really cool thing, even when you're struggling to trust Jesus more. You ever notice that Jesus didn't make it easier for us to understand him at times? He spoke in parables, which didn't make it easier to understand. It made it more difficult. He'd walk up to a group of people from all different backgrounds and would say, to walk in my kingdom, eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you have ears to hear, you hear. And he walked away, you know, just because it's like, huh? Even his disciples at times were like, uh, Jesus, we kind of walked life together for three years, but brother, what are you talking about? <laughs> it makes no sense. He made it more difficult. You see, he spoke in parables to make it more difficult so that way those who were hungry, those who were desperate, those who wanted more than surface level would press in. You see, God doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. See, there's a, a scripture in Proverbs 25, verse 2, and it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but is the glory of kings to discover a matter. Have you ever been in a place where you studied a scripture a thousand times, upwards, downwards, front, back, left, and right, every commentary known on planet, but then you get to a place in his spirit where you read that same verse and it comes alive and he speaks to you from heaven and you get this revelation you have never seen before and it brings life to you. Those are some of the greatest moments in life where we walk in that, that glory of a new testimony, of a new revelation that just adds to the history we have personally with God that grows our trust in him. Again, bold faith is produced through quiet trust in our prayer closet. And today I want to look at a, a nice beefy portion of scripture. We're going to read about 20 verses this morning and study this passage that's all about trusting God and trusting God when you're at your wit's end, trusting God when it's life and death scenario, and there are two stories that are contrasting each other that have such powerful truths and revelation and reminders for us and trusting God. So if you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Mark chapter 5. If you have a digital Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 5, New American Standard 1995 edition. There's extra Shekinah on, on the New American Standard. And Mark is such a cool gospel. It's my favorite gospel. It's action-packed. It's just so full of great things. And we are in chapter 5, which if you know the book of Mark, you know very well. Lots of things have happened at this point. At the end of chapter 4, Jesus is crossing uh, the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. The storm happens. Jesus, who had peace, speaks peace. Then there was peace, and the storm died. Then at the beginning of chapter 5, they go to the Decapolis, this Gentile nation, lots of demons running around there, and Jesus casts 2,000 demons out of a single person. Then tells them, now you're an evangelist, you just got delivered, now go tell everybody your story. They get back in the boat, they head over to land, and now here we pick up in verse 21, where Jesus is, is awaited by a crowd and people who need a touch from God. Verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her, and she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. 
a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and spent all that she had was not helped at all, but rather grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up to the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And we're all very familiar with this story, and we know just how bad of a place this woman really was. Bleeding for, for 12 years. At this time in the Jewish law, if you were bleeding, you were unclean. Couldn't touch anybody. You had to be outside of the city. You were ostracized. You, you were kicked out of your own community. You were kind of just belittled in a sense. Now imagine that this lady was married, and she couldn't have any relationship with her family just constantly on her own. And then to take everything that you have, everything that you own to try to get better and you only get worse. I mean, here's a, a lady who, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's amazing she still has the desire to live. And she's coming before Jesus and thinks, if I can just touch him, I will get well. And if we can say that prayer every day, if I can only touch Jesus, that's all I'm gonna need, if I can just touch him. Verse 29, immediately, immediately, I love the immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus perceived in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth. He turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? Like, again, the disciples didn't always get it, you know, and I'm glad that the disciples were knuckleheads because I'm a knucklehead. And if they didn't get it, then I have a little bit more grace when I don't get it either. And I said, Jesus, everybody's bumping up against you. This is at Disneyland. You're in a line for an hour and a half to get on the elephant ride, okay? Like everybody's hitting you. Your heels are getting clipped with strollers left and right. And you say, who touched me? But power had came forth. Somebody took a withdrawal from Jesus. Somebody drew from the Savior who was so willing to give, and she was healed. In verse 32, and he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, oh, don't you love that? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. When he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Jesus is willing to give you what you need if we would only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. You know, in Israel today, you can actually hire a mourner. They, they have burden bearers that you can pay. They, they uh, carry five-gallon steel things, and they walk around to carry your burdens. And so these people could have been paid to be there mourning and wailing and causing this commotion that was happening all around. And so in verse 38, they came to the house of synagogue official. The commotion was there, people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? This child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him and putting them all out, putting them all out, putting them all out. Some of us need to put some folks out of our hearts, our lives, our minds, our rehearsing over and over again. There's some contacts you need to take out of your phone. There's some things you got to stop listening to. There's some influences in our hearts that we got to stop saying yes to. 
He put them out. He put them out. And they began laughing at him, putting them all out. He took along the child's father and mother. He brought them who were afraid, brought them in, and his own companions, and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translates means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she lived. There's so much that's happening in this portion of scripture. We see two different women. And I say women, though it says little girl, because that little girl was now 12 years old. And when I read this this past week, it said she lived and she was restored and she was 12 years old. I said, why does that matter? It was a little girl. Who cares if she was 10, 11, or 12? But the scriptures specifically say she was healed, she was raised to life, and she was 12 years old. Well, 12 is a very specific and significant number in the scriptures. We see over 187 times throughout the scriptures that word being used, that number being used, 12. Now we have a 12-year-old woman because at the age of 12, as a Jewish girl, you now become an adult where you can make your own decisions. You're ending one season and beginning a new season. And the enemy wanted to end all seasons. But Jesus says, no, I'm coming so that she would have favor to have this new season of life as a woman, 12. Now this other lady was suffering for 12 years. 12. We see it all, all from the 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel, to 12 stones on the breastplate of the priest, 12, 12, 12. It means wholeness, completeness, perfection, and authority. And so there's this contrast that's happening between these two stories. And I really think that there's a lot taking place that we can learn from in a sense of how these two people reacted to the season that was at hand and the way they trusted God. Now we see Jarius, this official who taught Torah, he knew very well of Messiah and his little girl was dying. Now when your little girl is dying, you give up all your pride. You ain't trying to go and figure it out on your own. You're not going to go on Google and research, why is my daughter dying? <laughs> no, you go straight to the number one thing that can fix it. And for this man, that number one thing was Jesus. And that's why I always say that prayer should never be a last resort. It should always be a first priority. You should never be in a place in your life and your faith and say, well, I've tried everything. All I can do now is pray. No, that should be number one. I need to pray. Father, what should I do? Call 911. Go to the hospital. What next move do I need to make? Prayer should be our first priority, not our last result. And Jarius did exactly that. And he found what he was looking for in the desire of his heart. His daughter was brought back to life. But this other lady, for whatever reason, she searched everywhere, high and low and in between. She went to every doctor, every remedy, every essential oil person she could find. She tried it all. She spent all of her money. She kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it says here in the scripture that upon hearing Jesus, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God, not having heard. It's not past tense. It's a fresh wind and a fresh fire, new revelation upon hearing. And the Greek word for that word hearing is understand, to fully understand. Somebody said, that's Jesus, Messiah, the son of God, savior of the world. He is healed. He has raised the dead. He just cast out 2000 demons out of somebody. And something in her spirit said, that's what I've needed all along. And that revelation caused her to declare. It changed her declaration. It changed. It transformed her in a moment. It changed. I need to search anybody and anything. I will put my trust anywhere to anyone and anything. And it completely changed it to my only hope is found in Jesus. 
And she declared, if I can just touch him, I will be made well. I hope that it's the prayer in every one of our hearts that if I can just be near him, if I can just be with Jesus, then my thoughts will change. Then my heart will be healed. Then I will find the confidence I've been looking for. Then I will find that surrender. Then I can finally obey him. Then I can get over my pride and just trust him. If I can just be near him. You want to grow a desire for God in your heart? Just get near him. Just be with him. And you're going to see that naturally happen in your heart. But we need to trust Jesus more. We can't be wishy-washy with it. In my study this past week, I, I found a story of a preacher who was traveling across the South. And it was one of those Alabama summer days that was hot and soupy and miserable. And as he's driving on the highway, he sees a vendor selling watermelons. So he looks at the watermelon and he's sweating and he thinks, okay, hydrating and also refreshing. He pulls over. He asked the vendor, hey, how much for a watermelon? The vendor says, it'll be a dollar and 10 cents. The preacher man reaches in. He says, I only have a single dollar bill. So the vendor says, that's no problem. I'll trust you for it. I'll trust you for it. He says, awesome. He grabs the watermelon, turns around and heads to his car. The vendor stops him and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't you going to give me the dollar at least? He goes, whoa, I thought you said you'd trust me for it. Now, do you really trust me or are you just willing to do a 10 cent gamble on my integrity? You know, and are we wishy-washy? Are we just wanting to trust God in the simple things, but not allow him into the space of our hearts where it really matters, where our feelings and our emotions and there's risk and, and big consequences could happen? Do we welcome in him into the great and big areas of our lives? Greater trust is a result of greater intimacy. The more you know, the greater you can trust. When you hire somebody, you look at all their their uh, resources, you look at all, all their references, you look at their history, how long they've been employed, you make your best decision out of all the applicants based on how much you know of those people to make a better decision. The more we know about God, the more we know of his heart and his will, the greater we can trust him. Somebody who has never let us down before. Now, I'm only 37 years old. I'm just a young buck, okay? 37, but man, have I seen God do some crazy things. I've seen some miracles. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen Parkinson's healed. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. I've seen legs grown out. I've seen people transform their lives. I've seen heroin addicts, drug dealers, gang members come to the faith. I've seen a lot of things in just the short years that God has given me thus far. But every single year, more and more does my trust grow in him. God, if you would do it then, you could do it now. If you would do it again and again and again, what is this challenge that lies before me? I need to stop focusing on that problem, that circumstance, that season, that issue, and focus more on the growth of the faith in my heart, developing the, the capacity, expanding the capacity of trust in my heart to give a big yes to God. You know, we have to go to him first. In the same way that Jarius didn't say, I'm going to exhaust all my options and look everywhere else. He said, no, I'm going straight to Jesus. That's why I love in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, David and his mighty men, the rejects of society, they come back to Ziklag, their city, because nobody else wanted them. It's burned to the ground. Everything they own has been stolen, and their family is nowhere to be found. David's own man said, this is your fault, David. If it wasn't for you, our family wouldn't be gone, probably dead. So they wanted to kill him. And David had every right to fight back and say, how dare you? But instead, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
in the Lord, his God. As they weighed out the options, our family's gone. All of our stuff has been stolen. We have no more city. He goes, what should we do? The Bible says that he inquired of the Lord. He said, Father, should I pursue this army? And the father said to him, pursue, and you will surely overtake them and recover all. So he went on the word of the Lord, went back. They got back all of their family, and they got double for the trouble because they plundered their enemies. And they came back with more than what the enemy originally took before, but it began with inquiring of the Lord first. It began on trusting God first because they went to him. And there's some scary situations, <clears throat> including the dryness of my throat. Ooh, there's some scary situations in life that really put our trust in God to the test. And I just think that there's so much encouragement in the scriptures. It's, isn't it funny that every time Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's a good time to be afraid. <laughs> I mean, there's a hurricane and you're on a dinky little boat. Have no fear. Okay, <laughs> how? It's a very scary situation. Every time Jesus said, don't be afraid, there was a reason to be afraid. But we got to go beyond the, the physical, beyond the fear, beyond the circumstance, and go into the voice of God. Peter, when he, he saw a ghost walking on the water in the middle of the storm, and he looked, and they were afraid. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Now, you know, disciples who leaned on the chest of Jesus, spent intimate time with him, commune with him, when they heard, do not be afraid. That was a familiar, it was a, a, a comforting, encouraging voice. And immediately they presumed that was Jesus. And Jesus said, come. And so in the middle of the circumstance, upon the word of God, Peter was able to step on the water and walk. But isn't it funny? I'm not, I'm not sure which gospel account it is, but it says it in the New American Standard this way. It says, but when Peter saw the wind, he began to sink. How do you see wind? It's invisible. Now, isn't it funny that we can see all types of scenarios, all kinds of crazy things in our life, make up all these what ifs and woulda, coulda, shouldas that don't even exist. And instead of keeping our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, we begin to sink. We have to trust him even if it sounds crazy because Jesus is always going beyond our mind. He's going beyond logic so many times to get to our hearts. He said some crazy things in the gospel but it was to surpass and offend your mind so that it could get to your heart so you can trust and believe what Jesus wanted for you. We have to learn how to trust him more. And, and you know, we're going to be in those places where we trust him, we're faithful, we're obedient, and still we don't hear anything. There's silence. Many, many places in the scripture, God is silent. And that's okay. And whenever I feel like I'm crying out to God and, and that um, I want a word from him, but I'm getting nothing, nothing, there's a couple things I do. First is I say, okay, God, is it me? You know, because sometimes the problem ain't God. The problem is with me. It's always on my side of the equation. Have I been prideful? Do I need to repent? Am I not hearing clearly because I'm filling my brain with junk and other things? The other thing I will ask myself is, has God told me to do something and I didn't completely fulfill it? Because why would he give me a new assignment if I haven't been faithful to complete the one he just gave me? Has he given you a word that terrified you? And you're like, okay, I'll obey God. And it's kind of like in the back of your mind, but you're kind of skirting around it and you want something fresh and new. And he's like, that's lovely, but do what I told you to do, right? Fulfill what I told you. And, and sometimes I believe God is quiet because he has spoken. He has given you the answer. He has shown you what to do, but you're either prideful, you're scared, or there's other issues going on that you haven't fulfilled it. Ask him for a new grace. 
Ask him for clarity. Ask him for a supernatural boldness to fulfill what he has called you to. Because wherever God leads you to, he will provide you all that you need to complete it. Where, where God guides, he provides. Can I be cheesy for a second in the church? <laughs> but also, I need to recognize that I'm not always going to get an answer. And there's circumstances in life that go unknown. And there's things that I can't figure out. And one day when I'm in heaven and I have a glorified brain and the mind of Christ fully, I can understand. But on this side of eternity, I may not always know. And not only do I have to have the faith to trust God when it makes sense, I need to have the type of trust to trust God when it doesn't make any bit of sense or reason or logic. How can Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego stand before a fire and say, you're going to die slowly in flames unless you bow down? And they uttered in, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, let it be known to you, O king, that my God whom we serve is able to save me. That's my declaration. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, let it be known to you and all this nation, we will not bow down. And did God save them from the fire? Not necessarily, because they got thrown in seven times hotter. But instead of Jesus removing the circumstance, Jesus came into the circumstance, walked among them, and they came out not even touched by that circumstance. Did you know as a spirit-filled believer, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, you can go through a circumstance unfazed where many others would have crumbled. But because you're strong in the faith, God can trust you to go through this and you come out the other end, not being saved from your problem, but being a testimony to others who need the saving grace of Jesus. So I want a declaration on my heart that says, I'm going to trust you, God, when it makes sense. I'm going to trust you when it doesn't make sense. Because you have showed me over and over and over in my life how faithful you are. And even if my life has been nothing but tragedy after tragedy, this word that is your literal voice tells me the hope that I can cling to, commands me to hold on to a faith that sometimes doesn't make sense, but I trust you for it. I trust you for it. And let me close with this. Uh, I heard a story from uh, Pastor Jensen Franklin out there in Georgia, and there was a big tornado that came through in the South and leveled a, a school, an elementary school, while the kids and teachers were still there. And the father heard about the news that his son's school had collapsed, and so he ran to the site. And he went to where he knew in the area was his child's um, classroom. Everything was leveled. And he just began pulling chunks of concrete and debris out of the way. Others were helping him. The first responders were there. But after 16 hours, people started leaving him. And he was by himself, a father, 24 hours, still pulling rubble back. 36 hours later, on the last pile, he hears voices. He pulls back that big chunk of concrete, looks down and sees his son, his teacher, and the entire classroom still alive. And this little boy said, see, I told you my dad would come for me. I told you my dad would come for me. So I don't know what it is that you may be facing today, whether it makes sense or it doesn't make sense, whether he comes to save you or he doesn't. Heaven still awaits us, period. But in your heart, is there an affection that says, I will trust you, period, God. You have given me all that I need. And like Job said, though he may slay me, yet I will trust him. Because glory, I will be in for eternity. And what will this life be in comparison when I'm there in the manifest presence of God? So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we can cling to, for the trust we have in you, the unfailing one, the one who holds it all in the palm of his hand, 
the one who has promised power from on high. But God, we're still on this, this side of eternity. And in this flesh suit, we are fragile. <laughs> and we go through things that bring doubt and fear and hesitation. We forget. We get sinful. We get prideful. And we get slack and to be reminded of how big you really are, God. But more than anything, in this room here this morning, Father, what we are asking for is a deposit from heaven that says, help to grow our trust, not through logic, but through intimacy, that our trust would be tied to the affections of our heart for you, God. Help us to grow the capacity of trust in our heart, to say a big yes when you call us, to step into a season, no matter how crazy the waters may look, because you are there and you're calling out. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here, and we thank you, Father, for the anointing, the blessing, the favor that's on every single heart in this place. Thank you that as we go forth in a new week that you have blessed us with, that we can stay close to your heart, close to your voice, and fully surrender to where you are leading us. Open doors for us, Father. Give us the grace that we need. Help us to let our homes and our hearts be firmly rested upon your presence. Lead us today. We give you glory and we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God bless you, family. Have a wonderful week.